Hello and welcome to another episode of Seeking the 80s, a podcast with two gals born in the 70s who lived through the 80s. I am your host Lorraine and I'm joined by my co-host Ray. Hello Ray. Hello. How are you? Not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm feeling great. I mean, I'm operating on three hours sleep. And whose fault is that, Ray? A book. No, whose fault is that, Ray? It's a book's fault. Yeah, but it, who it, had the book? Who had the book in their hand? Me. But okay. it, it was, the, book, the book was too good. It's not I a can't... Harry Potter book. It don't go flying through the air like their books do. In it the was sh- about dragons. Oh, well, there. Sorry, my mistake. <laughs> it was about dragons, so it does fly. Uh, but I couldn't put it down. And I've now got, I think I've got maybe 100 pages left to read. And they'll get they'll get read this afternoon. And then I can start on the next one. So this is going to be our second episode. And for this one, we are going with a film that was released in the UK on May 15th, 1987. But as usual, our American friends will get it before us on February 13th. And that is Mannequin. So, Ray, what's Mannequin about? Directed by Michael Gottlieb (laughs) and written by Edward Rogoff and Michael Gottlieb. This was... Gottlieb's, wow, I'm going to say that a lot, first foray into film directing, though he had worked on shorts, namely mostly commercials, and a TV Murphy, movie. Murphy? A TV <laughs> wow. Murphy. TV Murphy. Yeah, after so, a like, kid Moira in... Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. After A Kid in King Arthur's Court, which was released in 1995, he moved completely into video game production, Unfortunately, he was tragically killed in a motorcycle accident Aww. in 19, uh, 2014. Yeah. Mannequin had a budget of around $6 million and made just over $6 million on its opening weekend in the US on February the 16th, so just before my birthday. It went on to gross just under $43 million worldwide, so it didn't make anywhere near as much as The Karate Kid, but it also didn't cost as much as The Karate Kid. It was still not that bad. Still not that bad, but it only, I'd say, what, quadrupled instead of... Oh, yeah. a shame. It, <laughs> yeah, which is a shame considering it has probably got one of the most memorable soundtracks, mm-hmm. at least most memorable theme songs. Jonathan, played by Andrew McCarthy, is yummy. an artist. Yeah, <laughs> he is yummy. He's had many jobs, but can never seem to stick at anything, whether it's working in a pizzeria or assembling mannequins in a factory. He's just too slow and too particular about everything, making it all perfect. Having been fired from his latest endeavor, he's taking a walk when he saves store owner Claire Timkin, played by the always an ever wonderful Estelle Getty from a falling sign as a thank you for the rescue she gives him a job as the stock boy though the store is always empty competing with newer and more exciting brands one evening while working with flamboyant window dresser Hollywood Montrose who is amazing and played by Meshach Taylor Jonathan is left alone with one of the mannequins he created at the factory when she comes to life, he's not sure whether it's real or not. Seriously, I'd think I'd, I'd wonder if I'd been dosed up with something during lunch. Yeah, I agree. It would be a, a strange experience. <laughs> yeah, strange. This is no ordinary mannequin. She's actually from ancient Egypt. Her name is Emma Hesere, and she has lived many exciting lives. She's played very well by a softly spoken and stunning 
Kim Cattrall. Together, the pair create eye-catching, crowd-stopping window displays that help to save the ailing store from closure. Along the way, the unlikely pair also happened to fall in love. Jonathan's strange relationship with the mannequin begins to draw attention. Oh, I wonder why. But like <laughs> most films of the 80s, love always finds a way. It does. It does. And there's nothing wrong with falling in love with a bit of plastic. Well, people have married chandeliers. I think someone married a, was it the train station in Liverpool? Yeah, and somebody also married a, um, oh, what are they called? A ragdoll. And someone had a thing about fences. Yeah, but this person who married a ragdoll then went on to give birth to a ragdoll baby. Whatever makes you happy, man. <laughs> yeah, but that, 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 that's just taking things to a... But did, did they physically do it? Like they, they, they acted it out? Yeah. Did they, did they have a midwife? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe the um, ragdoll husband was a doula. That's so weird. Like I'm all for, and I think this is one thing that Mannequin does. It does really well because you don't have a lot of like, you know, like if this was happening in real life, then I think people wouldn't be as, uh, you no, know, they'd probably accommodating. Make, um, they'd probably put you in a straight jacket and take you to the nearest mental institute. Exactly. And I think with this film, like nobody seems to care. And it's the same with, um, Hollywood like Hollywood in the 80s is very flamboyant very camp very gay and he doesn't seem to there, the, there's the odd word that shouldn't be used but I think this film yeah, but shows, they're normally used by the bad guy yeah but I think like not not Hollywood because you know that to me you know that's obviously completely normal but the mannequin not not to me it's I feel like I'm judging here but to me it's a bit weird and I think when people you know do those types of things like I would rather it be with that than other things because obviously there are some things that are just a no-no um but I think if you're like in love with a, a mannequin like you're not hurting anyone you know you're just there with your mannequin every day or you're rubbing you're the hurting drink. your girlfriend why are you hurting your girlfriend he hurt his girlfriend yeah but they weren't serious and I'm not being funny if my husband come home with a mannequin I'd be like see you later love <laughs> I wouldn't try and like win him back because I think you're gonna tell him that then I think <laughs> by the way you can bring home a mannequin but our relationship's done yeah because I mean like there's I mean if he if he went off with somebody else I wouldn't try and win him back because I don't think I think I just wouldn't I'm not that type of person I just wouldn't do it but I think if that he came home with a mannequin you know it's just I, I can't compete with I don't know what to even do with that you know but I'm never to gonna fair, be could that. you compete <laughs> Could you compete with a mannequin that looked like Kim Cattrall in the 80s? <laughs> That's the point. If he comes in <laughs> with her, I'd be like, fair enough. Well played. <laughs> I get it completely. I totally understand it. It'd be kind of like coming home with a mannequin that looked like Chris Evans. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, before I'd be like, just put him in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> just put him in the corner right the way. But um, yeah. this this film actually, like, it is one of my favourites for the 80s. And I remember it very fondly. And it's one I watch every now and again. But it did get really slated by the box office. But isn't this the one that did better than The Lost Boy? No, which was the one that did no, better? No, that Lost was Summer School. Summer School. Um, but, you know, it it did quite well at the box office from, from what you said. But, um, yeah, they really, like, apparently were quite harsh. And I, I'd um, 
read a few reviews and there was a bit didn't really get the response I would have given it or did give it yeah but then I think that we were looking at it from I think the problem with reviews and this is the the issue that I have with reviews from professional critics Mm. and I always will have is they are looking at it not from a an audience enjoyment meter they're looking at it from a composition that could have been made slightly better that transition wasn't right this wasn't right that script was could have been a bit tighter that particular actor wasn't right for the role I mean granted quite often review um audiences will go into a film and they'll go they cast that person really that's not how I imagined that character to be but then this was made in the 80s for a relatively teenage audience and that yeah. kind of film never does well with the critics. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean because I think there's certain films that I would be the worst person to review because I'm not the target audience either. Right. Like I'm, I, it's not my thing. Um, Twilight. Yeah, like oh, no. <laughs> but I think yeah, when you've got certain people that are like you know, I watched this and I like was I was in love with Andrew McCarthy and uh, Emmy's gorgeous and all this kind of, and they're in love, you know, love finds and the a way and the music and yeah, the and and Hollywood is absolutely like everybody wants to be his heart. best friend, like you know. So you know, I I should have reviewed it when I was <laughs> when I was like fifteen or sixteen or something. But yeah, I see what you mean. But I, yeah, I, I think sometimes, like I never listen to reviews. I never, the only thing I'd listen, like I read reviews on is if I'm going to buy something, then I'll have a look. But when it comes to films or music or TV shows, I, I'll read them, but I don't, I don't pay any attention to them because, you know, me and you have got very different tastes in what we do now. Mm-hmm. I'm big into my horror films. You're not. And um, so you know, I, I wouldn't really so much listen to you as much as I would a horror critic and vice versa. I don't really read books that much. So I'm probably not your go-to person for that. No. But so I think, yeah, it's, it, it's a fair point that certain people probably shouldn't um, review films like this. And maybe had they got people that were more, you know. I mean, I bet you the reviews in Smash Hits and um, Just 17 were absolutely raving. Yeah. Because Andrew McCarthy was an it boy. He was part of the Brat Pack. Oh, God, he yeah, was, he was one of the, yeah. He was Rob Lowe's friend. He was, he was the, he was in a way, I'd say that Andrew McCarthy out of all of the Brat Pack was the boy next door. Yeah, he, and yeah, because with Andrew McCarthy, like I could have never got a Rob Lowe. I would be like, I can't get Rob Lowe. And Andrew I McCarthy. Could, I could seriously, I'd have probably ended up with Ralph Macchio. Yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> with that. But I, I, um, when I look at Andrew McCarthy, I thought he was, so gorgeous and but so cute and like you said boy next door so it's like you know oh maybe him whereas Rob Lowe like he's like the bad boy and he was just like smoking yeah hot. but then you, that's the thing you look at these films and obviously we're going to cover a load of Andrew McCarthy films at a, at a later date mm. but you look at him in Pretty in Pink yeah and he's the lead yeah not only is he the lead he is not the boy next door in this that's John no. Cryer yeah yeah. And then, of course, you've got Steph in James Spader. Who was also in this. Why? why I mean, because were they originally going to have like Dudley Moore? It was going to be a different kind it of. It was going to be a complete. It was almost yeah. going to be like a Pinocchio. That would have been a completely different film, though. That would it have wouldn't, been I don't film. think it would have appealed no. to the same audience. No, and no. they've got. When you look at the other films that were coming out in this year, mm. 
I mean, 1987 was the year of the Lost Boys. Yeah. It was the year of Summer School, which is another Wasn't film. Dirty Dancing 87 as well? Dirty Dancing was 87. Yeah. They were all summer films. Yeah. And you put Dudley Moore against those, box office would have died. Yeah. Because it was the it were it was the era of the teen moviegoer. Yeah, 80s was very much I think 80s well, I my when I think of 80s film, I think of yeah, these type of brat pack, teen, romance, all that kind of stuff. And then yeah, and then I also think of 80s horror. But there that that's really I wouldn't you know, even though I did watch Dudley Moore in the 80s, it, it's not what jumps to mind when I think but of Dudley it. Dudley so. Moore was kind, he was, I mean, he was older. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. So you wouldn't, so you'd have gone and seen a film with him. If you were looking for a comedy after you'd seen all the other teen movies, then yeah. maybe. Because I liked but, Arthur. Yeah, Arthur was, was a good film. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But then so. you look at Bad Remake, but let's not even go there. And you look at the other films that came out around this time. So you've got the weird science, you've got Ferris Bueller's day off, you've got dirty dancing, you've Mm. got all those films. And one of the things they have in common is they have got a young, good looking Mm. guy. You can imagine yourself feeling attracted to. Yep. Yep. And for us, that's what was important when we were, (laughs) When we were that age. But I don't think it's changed because you look at the films that come out now and you've got that after and played by Ralph, I think it's Ralph, uh, Ralph Fiennes or Ray Fiennes nephew. And you've got, um, I'm trying to think, and you've got Twilight with Robert Pattinson. And then you've got, I'm trying to think of all the films. I'll be honest with you though, for me now. The YA audience is different, but at the same time, they're still looking for, the guy that they can go over. Yeah, no, I, I don't do that as much now. Don't get me wrong, no, sometimes but, I do, but I, it's not really, I, I'm not as no, bothered by I'm that now. No, but I'm talking about the younger audience Oh, now. yeah, yeah. Oh, Those gorgeous. films are yeah, for yeah. the audience yeah. that we were when this yeah. came out. Yeah, Twilight, and definitely. What they're looking for, yeah, and what they're looking for is the, oh, he's so gorgeous. Mm. I could so be with him. No, you couldn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I th- I think with this one though as well, like because you you mentioned before about how he had a girlfriend, so obviously going off with a mannequin when you have a girlfriend is not, you know, it's still cheating, still cheating. Yeah. <laughs> Simon Cowell's mother-in-law. Yeah, exactly. But Roxy, that her name, her, Roxy is her name in this, and yeah. uh, like when you look at um, Jonathan, like he's a bit messy looking. He doesn't really have any money. He just goes from job to job. Whereas she's very all about her appearance is all about money and career and stuff like that which is perfectly fine she's but sigourney jonathan's weaver in the working wrong... girl sorry she's sigourney weaver in working girl yeah but Focusing for this on her career and yeah. power and everything else but for for jonathan she's she she's he's the wrong person for her yeah absolutely you know? and she gets so she's working at the other company prince and company uh, sorry yeah. illustra yeah. And she works with like those type of people, but those type of people are so like, I mean, what was the guy's name? Armand or what was his name? The real sleazy. Oh, oh my was God. Sleazy, the, Italian and creepy. He was so vile. And we're not saying, by the way, all Italians are 
that because no, they're certainly not. not. Um, but this but is how he was portrayed. That's, yeah, because then it's really... also how Italians are to a certain degree in satirical film. It's how they're portrayed. You know, the slightly creepy, sleazy. Look at um, Melissa McCarthy's Spy, and they yeah, have Peter Serafinowicz mm. playing an English guy who's pretending to be Italian and he is constantly pinching her backside and referring to her as being a beautiful big woman and everything else and that seems to be the stereotype that they go with in this Mm. yeah no they do I mean they go way over the top they don't do anything for that you know if if they're portraying him as that an Italian guy like that they don't do it the Italian men any favors oh no Um, but you know we have the sense to know that it's a film but I mean, he crosses the line so badly in this. I mean, if that happened, like, and that's the thing when you think about like sexual harassment in the 80s, everything was so much more acceptable. Whereas the stuff he does now, forget the the grabbing and the touching, which is, you know. It's the comments. It's the comments and that, oh, you won't be my woman and, oh, and all this kind of stuff. And you're just like, ew. If somebody it's the minute that, she becomes you know, free. Yeah, the minute she is no longer dating Jonathan, yeah, she it's a free for all, and yeah. he's an animal. Oh, he's in, not in a nice way. Oh, vile. He's yeah. so absolutely like vile, and that, that like I mean, Jonathan is basically the complete opposite because Jonathan's like he's a very lovable character, and you couldn't imagine him being anything but you know he's, he's a bit tricky. of a you know he needs to sort himself out a little bit, yeah. but. Yeah, he um, yeah, he 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 he's completely different. But we, we you know, we've got some other kind of villains because to me he's a villain. That guy as well. We've got oh, yeah, Felix, who G W Bailey, who um was in Police Academy with uh, Kim Cattrall, and of course we have uh, Richard, uh. who is James Spader, who is so because di- whenever I think of James Spader, this is not who no. I think of when I think when of I Spader. think of James Spader I think of his role in secretary mm-hmm. which I, I, and I think that, yeah and crash but he's also in it quite funny he plays a very sleazy character mm. very intelligent but sleazy in Boston Public which I have just started watching oh re-watching. right okay I haven't seen that and yeah he's, he's, a, he's a lawyer quite high powered best mates in this with Denny Crane played by William Shatner and he has Steph vibes. Oh, right. Yeah, because he's not nice in Pretty in Pink. Um, but in this, he's just such a kiss ass. I mean, he just will do any... And even the way he kind of, like, you know, slicks his hair yes. over... You can see he's very slimy. That's the word that springs to mind when I see mm. his character in this. Mm. Yeah, no, completely. He's also a kiss ass, but he's playing both sides of the game well he he's one of those people that he's got no loyalty to anyone and he will literally do what will get him to where he wants to be because you see him kind of like you know and even when he turns around to um jonathan he goes it's all i could do to basically save your ass in this like he saved his job and all this kind of stuff but he he's you know and i think him and felix are kind of a funny little couple in this because like felix is He's ridiculous. He's offensive. He's just like an absolute. Useless but he has a lovely dog. Yeah, 
He's got a lovely dog, but that's the only good thing about him. What is he called him Rambo? And Rambo. then he did get another dog called Terminator or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Rambo yeah. has tra- ha- Rambo's been traumatized by the um, by see- <laughs> seeing um, Emmy and Jonathan together because, of course, mm. whenever Emmy, whenever other people appear, Jeez. Emmy turns yeah. into a mannequin again. But yeah. obviously, that the same doesn't hold true for a dog. So let's talk about Emmy, actually. Um, I, I mean, I, in this, I just, I just think she's exceptional. Like you say, like Kim Cattrall, even when you see her in like later stuff, like especially Sex and the City, which most people would uh, nowadays probably know her as, she, even there, she's very soft-spoken, but she's got like, you know, because in Sex and the City, she's very much, you know, um, a powerhouse. And I feel like in this, she as well, because, you know, she's a woman that, left where she was because she didn't want to marry the was it a dung it was a dung dealer a dung dealer and you know she's very much an independent uh person in this I am, and the way I imagine she... her given that she travels through history <laughs> I always imagine her as having been at the forefront with the suffragette movement yeah yeah she she's basically just someone who's completely in control of what she wants and even but she's not worried about not getting recognition because when you see what he does with the window so he's creating these amazing window displays which is what brings more customers and then obviously Elestra wants him um she he's like can you help me do that again she's like yeah but he's getting credit for all of this but she doesn't care about that no because a she loves him yeah and b it's just she likes she enjoys doing it because she is incredibly intelligent hmm. and that is very very obvious i'd say that she's an inventor because i think yeah. though though jonathan is incredibly creative and artistic hmm. the mechanics behind a lot of what they do yeah oh god yeah. yeah. right even right at the beginning when she's hiding from her mother in the pyramid hmm because she doesn't want to meet this guy that her mother has set her up with and oh yeah you're going to marry this dung dealer no thank you mother she is inventing and researching and she's interested in learning and that is a, the entire start of the film you start with that then you get the credits and the credits are showing all the things that emmy does as she travels through time taking her to the to the present day where she is the mannequin that jonathan creates in the factory and she is so determined. She doesn't sit down and take things. She takes everything in her stride, but she doesn't sit back and go, no, just let things happen. She makes things happen. Yeah, no, I agree. I think she's um, a great character. I think she's a very strong character. And she's also in one of my favorite montage scenes of the entire 80s is when they, you know, when she steps back onto that um big speaker and that song oh yeah about me oh my god I I'm always listening to that song but I can't on Spotify you can't get the woman Alicia who to sing it it's always a, a, another person which is fine I still listen to it but it's so 80s and it's just got such a good beat to it and the whole montage the way they're dancing around and they're changing and you see them just like really getting on with each other um I just absolutely like love that scene it's like one and of that's... my favorite scenes and that's another scene where one of the things that you can tell this is an 80s movie comes Oh, up. 100%, because they love a good montage. <laughs> yeah, they love a good montage, but they also love everybody smoking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you could smoke Nowadays, anywhere. Yeah, 
nowadays it's only the bad guy that seems to smoke in a film if somebody smokes or they don't have an iphone you know they're the bad guy yeah yeah because it, 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 it's like obviously when you watch like a lot of 80s stuff now and people are in offices and stuff like that they're all just and they've got an ashtray away and, they've got an like, what? <laughs> and they're, they're blowing smoke and people I mean me and you you know I remember those days I, yes, I mean so obviously I. not being in an office but I remember like being around because like it was only early 2000 that they stopped all that 2004 I think yeah and in America well, I was living in America at the time so that would have been 2003 I think when they stopped it there if I remember correctly yeah what I find the strangest is the fact that there's none of that I mean I found now on films there's a warning contains smoking and visions of um, images of alcohol abuse and everything else it's like okay because we grew up in a time where our mum smoked uh, my mum used to send us down to this to the corner shop with a note saying god I know my daughter my daughter can buy these cigarettes for me here's the money and they had no issue with it and I'm talking about when I was probably eight nine years old well my my mum said to me that when I was so I was born in 74 like you yeah and she said to me she goes after I had you uh she goes they said what do you want and she says a coffee and a cigarette so she was lying in her hospital bed after giving birth having a coffee and a cigarette after you know and like because you used to be able to smoke yeah, in hospitals as well smoke anywhere be, I when I worked when I first worked in a hospital there was one corridor if you were a non-smoker you did not go down this corridor because you wouldn't yeah. be able to breathe you'd be able to see because yeah it was thick with mm. smoke it was the nurse's lounge yeah and every single nurse smoked because yeah, I mean I've worked in to be fair, I did work in a mental institute. Yeah. I wasn't a patient. I was a staff member. Okay. And yeah, I, I, I was, I promise. And we, I used to have to go down to take messages and things. Yeah. And I would, no joke, be. <coughs> yeah. Cause I, I never smoked. I never, I, I never smoked. Um, and my mom gave up to have me, which would, you know, you'd think then after that, she like out of her system, but no. It was uh, the first thing, but yeah, no, it, you 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 get that um, you get that a lot. Um, but I also with this, I think like Hollywood is another one that has to be definitely mentioned. He's just so much. He just doesn't care, and especially because like it's the eighties, and that was the kind of the height of the AIDS epidemic and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but he just he makes no excuses for who he is, and he's very open and out there about it, and I love I that. Think- I think that's also why he has no issue with accepting Jonathan and Emmy. Because no, exactly. The fact that they're different is no different to the different that he is at that particular period in time. I mean, the, some of the words that especially Felix refers mm. to him using, mm. I cannot actually use because I find them, they kind of stick in my throat. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. And, like, I'll be honest with you, if if I, like, if you turn around and said to me, I've met someone and it's a mannequin, I'd laugh. But yeah, um, I I wouldn't care. And I know that probably sounds really strange to some people, but, you know, I, I know you and, yeah, you're you're a bit odd and that would be taking it up a level. But, you know, I just, I just wouldn't care. You know, things like, I just don't care about things like that because, um, I mean, if, if I was, you know, having a 50th birthday party and you brought him 
you draw him <laughs> along I'd be like can he stay at home or like but I just I, I think I when it comes to stuff like this like you know you look at characters like Hollywood and mannequins and you know trans and all this I just don't care like you know whatever do what you want I just don't give a shit um and Hollywood didn't give a shit he just didn't care as long like it's kind of the attitude I'm very much the person of as long as you're not hurting anyone then you know what you you knock yourself out you know because it's nobody's business at the end of the day and the way Hollywood is it's nobody's business how he conducts his lifestyle but in this he's just so unbelievably likable he's like one of my favorite characters in this like do you know what I mean he's the only person that came back for the sequel oh is he yeah the sequel starred um Christy Swanson and it was called Mannequin on the Move and I think it moved it made Christy Swanson was the mannequin and she was in medieval she was from medieval England oh okay and Hollywood was the only character that came back for the sequel Oh, I haven't seen it. Have you seen no, it? Think, yeah. Oh, a long time ago. Oh, I think okay. it was probably on one Sunday afternoon on the BBC. It came out in 1991. I was going to so say if it's Kirsty Swanson, because she was the original Buffy, wasn't she? She was, 92. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that. But in this, it's just... And I think even with the... Like, when you look at... Because he's very, like, flamboyant and colours and all, yeah. you know... Bells and whistles and stuff like that. And then when you look at, like, Illustra it kind of has that look about it, but they do it. They don't know how to do it. So maybe that's why, because he, he, he pulls off what he does, but you look at uh, Prince and company, it's very Macy's, but you yeah. look at um, Illustra and it's like a cheap, a cheap dining store. Filmed. It was filmed in a Macy's. Oh, was it? Yeah. Cause yes, it definitely it gives off that vibe. Yeah, It was filmed in a Macy's and Illustra gives off the vibe kind of an H and M. It just, it, no, not even an H&M, a pound yeah, the store. Way it's all la- yeah, the way it's all laid out with the oh, tinsel. tinsel. I mean, that is so 80s. Oh, it's horrible. And, and it's, it's so cluttered it's looking. Really, it's not even really tinsel. It's lametta, you know, lametta. Oh, right, yeah. The stuff that my mum always hated getting out of the box at Christmas. Yeah. Because she knew that not, I mean, we'd have a whale of a time decorating the Christmas tree. Yeah. But we didn't take the Christmas tree and the decorations down. That would be done by mum and dad after we'd gone to bed on Boxing Day normally. All right. Okay. And it was hellish for them because it's every single thing is an individual strand. Can you imagine being the cleaner in that kind of shop? No, no, it was, it was, I I remember because I, I had to go shopping recently for a wedding and there's a lot of obviously because the summer stuff is going so they're trying to put that on sale racks and you know bring in kind of the autumn clothes and I just walk in and I see those racks and I'm just like nope I can't look through them I just have to I can't stand cluttered shops and when you look at Illustra it's just so tacky so cluttered and you know but when you look at Prince Company it's got class and that's what I think Hollywood is he's got class um yes he has absolutely yeah so um it's really like when you look at both of those shops next to each other, it's just like they're so different. But I suppose that just represents who works in them as well. And the, yeah. like, you know, that's that's the evil empire Illustra is. And they do try exactly. and get, when they try and get Jonathan, she's like, Roxy tries to get Jonathan to work there. She goes, could you imagine working at Illustra? Ooh, Illustra. Like, and she's making out like it's so amazing. Yeah. But. but that's it. I mean, as as we've already said, it, it looks like a Macy's. It looks expensive. And it actually mm. was. It now houses, it's 
filmed in Philadelphia and it houses Macy's now, but at the time it was called John Wanamaker. Oh, okay. So there you go. Learn something new every day. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think <laughs> as it goes on and people are kind of starting to think, you know, this is a bit weird because they go into um, the toilet, Emmy and uh, Thingy. And do people oh, hear her talk? Do they hear voices in there or is it just his voice? Yeah, but then um, she's, I wonder if that's another thing. She's very softly spoken. Mm. So they might well hear his voice and not hear hers because she's talking quietly. Yeah. Because they're listening. I mean, they are listening outside through toilet, a door. Yeah. 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 So they're listening outside the door. So people are becoming, especially Felix, more and more like, hang on a second, something's not right. But obviously, you're <laughs> never going to think in a million years it's that. Um, but before we kind of get the whole, you know, reveal, so to speak, I do like that because Roxy, obviously, she's got very jealous of this mannequin and she decides to take matters into her own hands and, uh, you know, kill her or. Well, no, just... that's the thing. It's not I don't think it's so much she's taken matters into her own own hands for that. She's trying to because her boss is desperate to figure out what's going on and she sees it as if she gets this mannequin away from Jonathan, she's got leverage. Yeah, but I think it's a bit of both because obviously- Oh yeah, definitely there's jealousy there. There's jealousy there. So, you know, going into this like chipper for mannequins, I suppose that's what it's called. Um, But I like kind of the bit of role reversal there. Um, It's a bit political here, but when um, Hollywood turns the hose on the police, so the store police are trying to- you know, stop all this. And I, I just thought that was a nice little touch, especially in the 80s as well and things like that, where, you know, you've got a black man, a black gay man at that. And he's having so much fun with it and he's loving it. And the way he's kind of like, he never steps out of that kind of like Hollywood character. He's just no, constantly he is, doing he it. He is the epitome of cliche, but oh, that yeah. works for his character. But even the way, it's not even just how he talks and how he looks, it's how he moves. Even like when he's doing the the hose pipe, like the way he moves his hands and the way he puts it down. And it's just, it, it he never gets that a character. Like, I don't know who, what he's like in real life. And, Dead, fortunately. Oh, did he die? Oh, he did, he did didn't yes. he? Yeah, yeah well, he did. I, I did like I did, but I don't know what type of person he was in real life. Like I don't I don't know was he gay in real life? I don't know any of these things. But I mean that's the thing when we were kids it didn't really matter. What? If so they some... were if the actor was gay or straight because we didn't I think with the advent of the internet it's become far more important than it ever was. Yeah, cuz there's this weird thing where they're like you can't have a a straight person play a gay person or vice versa and I'm kind of like well have you seen Jonathan Groff in Mindhunter? Like, do you know what I mean? I, I think get the person to play it. Like, do you know what I mean? If the person's good, get them to play it. And I don't think it should matter whether you, if you're a gay person playing a straight person or Zachary vice versa. Quinto is Spock. Exactly. And you see, um, what's his name? Luke, is it Luke Evans? And, you know, you see, and then didn't Sean Penn play a, a gay guy? I, I don't, you know, yeah, I don't think he was milk, wasn't he? Yeah, I think just get the person who does it right because they're acting. And that's exactly. the whole point of it. They're, they're, you know, they're playing a different character. So, you know, like when Jonathan Groff did Mindhunter, my goodness, like, you know what I mean? Like, I know he's gay. And he's a musical actor. 
Michael yeah, uh, Jackson yeah, Rock, yeah, isn't he? Yeah, he's oh, been on massive. In oh, massive. massive musicals. And he's so, like, when you see him in interviews, he he's in so, like, Glee. he was in Glee, and he's so, like, funny and happy and smiley and all this kind of stuff. And then he plays John Douglas, you know, the FBI profiler. And you're kind of like, Jesus. Like, it's so. Neil Patrick Harris is Barney. Exactly, exactly. And you, but you, you just, it was so, like, completely like to me it's like just when you get someone who can do it that well so yeah it doesn't matter it doesn't I, matter no but well, I think me, that yeah. that's the thing I think before the advent of the internet yeah it didn't nobody had the there wasn't really unless you had I mean magazines and things yeah sure they do the massive articles like they did about Freddie Mercury and things yeah but yeah. it was never oh is that person straight quick get on the internet and find out nobody cared yeah we didn't yeah no, I didn't care. The audience didn't care. I mean, obviously the press would and some Mary Whitehouse type people would care, but the audience couldn't I give didn't. a toss. No, I just didn't. Um, and I remember, although I do remember being very upset when I when uh, I realised that Jonathan from New Kids on the Block New Kids was on the Block. Because I thought he was we my biggest. He was, yeah, same here. <laughs> no, I'd have been at first. Uh, I really, I I was devastated. But that didn't come out until yeah. years later. Yeah, yeah. So with Jonathan, like from New Kids on the Block, I was like, yeah, that's why we didn't make it. Because, you know, it was the same Wentworth Miller. I remember he came, came out and I was like, oh, why are all the good looking ones? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matthew but, Bowman from Chuck. Yeah. So, so yeah, like, I mean, but, you know, it shouldn't matter. But, um, but I, I think one thing this film does do well with is just accepting because you, you know, you like Jonathan, even though he's with a mannequin, you couldn't give a shit, you know, you like Hollywood and, you know, they just happen to be, he just happens to be gay and he just happens to like a mannequin. Like, do you know what I mean? And we like that. Yeah, and of course, Claire Timkin. Yeah, we like her, but she's a, she's a decent person as well. It's really just, you know, she's a determined um, little, um, determined, and I say little in the nicest way because she's taller than I was. Um, yeah. She was taller than me, but she was a determined little woman. And what I find really funny here is this is her in her real form. Yeah. Is she was at the same time as filming this, she was obviously in just about to start season three of The Golden Girls, in which she played a nearly 90 year old woman oh my god I seen a post come up the other day and it said do you realize that all the characters actors that played in Friends are now older than and the, the Golden in- Girls were when they started acting I was like well, that's the thing I mean the Golden Girls when they first started Rue McClanahan was 52 yeah we've got four years until we are the Golden Girls but uh yeah, no, I, I, this, this is one that I just really enjoy, and it's one I'd watch again and again. It's one of those films, and yeah. um, I think the soundtrack does help. Oh yeah, it's I a mean, great one. This, yeah, the nothing is going to stop us now was oh, Diane Warren's first. I mean, that's the thing. This film was Oscar nominated. Given what, how music? badly, yeah, this was Diane Warren's first Oscar nomination. She I didn't thought win. Starship sang Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. She wrote it. Oh, right. Okay. Nothing to do with it. I mean, they don't go yeah. by who sings it. They go right. by who wrote, who wrote it. it. Yeah, yeah. And she wrote Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. That was a great song, and, though. And it, yeah, fantastic song. But she was Oscar nominated for it. And she was uh, was nominated a further 12 times. Oh, and never won. Oh. 
for Oscars for best song. But this 2022, she was given an honorary Oscar. Oh. Because she was nominated the most times as a writer. Yeah, you get some actors like that. They're like, you know, when are they going to get theirs? Like, not that they're nominated loads, but like, I think people keep on saying, you know, the odd film comes out with Tom Cruise and they're like, this is a Oscar one. Because I think only Leonardo DiCaprio only just recently got his, I think, for The The Revenant. Revenant, yeah. Yeah, He was nominated, Um, he won for The Revenant and they are obviously Will Smith this year, but let's not talk about that. Um, And I mean, there are a lot of actors that they keep on saying, oh, when are they going to win their first Oscar? Mm. But then you look at their, I don't think it's so much their catalogue of film, it's them that Mm. means they won't win. I mean, there are certain actors I don't think will ever win an Oscar whether they come out with the most incredible film or not. I know I what you mean. I know what you mean. Um, it's kind of like Marvel got nominated for an Oscar for the first time with Black Panther. Yeah. But, for I mean, the, the Winter Soldier was an incredible film. It deserved an Oscar nomination and didn't get one because they don't think that comic book adaptations deserve nomination. Yeah. Well, I, did, I didn't know this one. I didn't know this one. I got... um. Yeah, it got an Oscar nomination. That's good. That's good. Um, so we rated the Karate Kid. You gave it sixty nine. Yeah. What are you going to give this one? Mm, I think I'm going to go with seventy one. Seventy one. Okay. Okay. I think I gave the Karate Kid sixty five, and I'm going to go seventy two with this one. I'm going to go 72 with this one but um yeah it's definitely one i'd revisit and i'd definitely um recommend uh people watching it and not only that i definitely recommend you add starships nothing gonna stop us now to your cleaning soundtrack oh yeah it's one of those songs that you can just burst out really really loudly i probably have irritated my neighbors multiple times probably I don't Probably. care. Yeah. They vacuum at six o'clock in the morning. They can piss off. Exactly. Sodden. Um, cool. All right. Then why don't you uh, take us out of it? <laughs> we would like to say thank you for listening to this, our second episode. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, and Spotify. However, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Seeking the 80s. And we have a Facebook community, so go ahead and join us. The link will be on our socials, and it's either going to be Desperately Seeking the 80s or <laughs> Seeking the 80s. If you've At listened to time, The Karate Kid, yeah, you know why. You know exactly why. There is a story behind it. It's interesting. Go and listen. It's it's quite funny. It just shows how um, we're getting older. <laughs> and if you've got a film that you absolutely loved from the 80s and you don't see it on our catalogue or you think, oh, maybe they haven't heard of that one, I believe we, we probably have, then you can email us at desperatelyseekingthe80s at gmail.com. Of course, we are both podcasters in our own right. And I like using that term. We are podcasters in our own right. Mm-hmm. I have a podcast called Being Bookish. You can find me at being underscore bookish or being bookish pod. And I talk about mental health and do 100% spoiler-free book reviews. Lorraine? Uh, I have a horror podcast, which has a bit of true crime in there thrown in. 
and that is Once Upon a Nightmare. And I'm on uh, Instagram as Once Upon a Nightmare podcast and the same with Facebook. And I'm on a Nightmare pod on Twitter. And uh, yeah, we will uh, chat to you again uh, next week. Bye. Bye.